0: Hello and welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 33. Unfortunately, we had to kill episode 32 because it was Carlos Tevez's number that he wore at Manchester United. My favourite player at United, when I, you know, around the time of uh, Rooney, uh, Part G Sung, and of course Cristiano Ronaldo, Tevez let me down. He joined Manchester City. So unfortunately, episode 32 had to be put in the bin. It was recorded, but it had to be binned. No, truthfully, I've just been a bit sick over the last few days. Uh, I'm training to do a marathon at the moment. I ran 24k on um, Sunday morning, and I've not felt well since. I think I must be... You know, really dehydrated or something. I've been drinking so much water as well, but apologies for you know missing out on episode 32, but I vombed in the morning and I was in bed all day. Watched two cracking films, in fact. Uh, the Young Offenders, which is a movie about two young Irish guys that go on a, a journey to find a, a bag of cocaine that had been smuggled from a ship that crashed. And then I watched The, the Big Short, which was a very good film about the financial crisis in 2008. But anyway, let's talk about me talking rubbish. Actually, if you've got any... Um, if any of you listeners have or you guys and, and girls have, have run a marathon before. If you've got any tips about how I can rehydrate faster, that would be absolutely fantastic. So maybe tweet me at Statman Dave with your tips and hints about Dave getting over this marathon, which is in fact in about two weeks. Excellent stuff from everyone. But anyway, on to episode 33. We're going to talk the news. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit of transfer uh, talk uh, in terms of basically Alexis Sanchez moving to Chelsea, which the Guardian have uh, done a piece on in the last few days. Then we're going to finish off by talking about my top three formations right now. So that could be very, very exciting. Uh, but anyway, let's get this party started, or as Lawrence McKenna does say, let's get this social gathering moving. So first up in the news, Brazil are the first team. Uh, to qualify for the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Apart from Russia, obviously the host nation, they beat Paraguay three goals to nil in a comprehensive victory with Coutinho, Neymar, Marcelo grabbing the goals. You want to go and check out the uh, Marcelo goal? Because there's a player called Paulinho that apparently used to play for Tottenham Hotspur that basically slips him through with like a backheel pass. It was an incredible move, and a credible finish from Marcelo, but this Paulinho fella... A hat trick and then pulling off stuff like that. Who is he? Maybe some, you know, maybe one of the big European teams should sign him. But anyway, moving on. Bolivia beat Argentina two goals to nil. A Messi-less Argentina lost again, and they are currently sitting in fifth in the standings, in the playoff position, which is terrible. Um, you know, for Argentina, a team that got to the World Cup final in uh, 2014, really struggling to qualify um, without Messi, who uh, was banned for the game, serving a first of a four-game suspension schön for telling the uh, you know shouting at the assistant your mother's shell well, that's what I translated it on Google but you can maybe use your imagination to work out what that actually means in English your mother's shell. In other news, Paraguay uh, beat Uruguay two goals to one. Chile beat Venezuela three one with 36 year old Esteban Paredes grabbing a brace. Incredible stuff from the 36 year old. Um, in friendly news, Italy beat Netherlands two one and Spain uh, beat France two 0 That was a uh, you know sort of the the two big cheeses coming together. Uh, with Delafeo scoring an offside goal and uh, David Silva grabbing another one. Moving on to other news: baby boom in Iceland nine months after their European 2016 victory over England, the number of um, epidurals administered on the 25th and 26th of March were reported as the highest ever in the country, which is quite interesting. They won a you know won a massive game against England, then you know there was a lot of. Uh, Tomfoolery that I even he'd say, but it's an interesting one for Iceland, who are going the right way and producing top-class footballers uh, with their, you know, the, the philosophy of their nation. Um, a lot of three G, four G pictures over there that are obviously inside because of the harsh weather in Iceland. But it's an interesting thing. A lot of coaches and so forth. So well done to Iceland for that. But that is the end of the news. So it's time to move on to a bit of transfer gossip with um, a fella on Twitter, um, Oscarholic, Tweeting me the article from the Guardian and putting uh, that Statman Dave podcast on this, bro. So, as fellow bros with Oscar Hollock, we're going to have to talk about it. The news breaking uh, on the, I think it was on on the Tuesday, on yesterday. Uh, if you're you're listening on the twenty eighth of of March, was saying that basically uh, Antonio Conte was in contract negotiations with Chelsea to extend his deal. Um, I think his deal runs out currently in two thousand and nineteen, and of course. Uh, They want to keep him uh, beyond that. Uh, They're offering some big stuff. But another thing that was negotiated when he was negotiating the contract with uh, Emdenenko and the board, of course, were the transfer priorities. And the news coming out is that Conte wants to get Sanchez. Sanchez is uh, poised to leave Arsenal after three years at the club. Um, He's only got... 18 months left on his deal. He wants 250,000 pounds per week. Currently on 130, and Arsenal don't want to, uh, you know, move their wage structure to to cater for the Chilean international, who has been absolutely fantastic this season, playing centrally as sort of a false nine. gram 19 goals um, and eight assists in the Premier League this season would be potentially level with Lukaku. Uh, If he hadn't sulked and been dropped, um, which is an interesting one on his attitude, but you know Arsenal dropping out of the title race, dropping out of the Champions League, another loss to Bayern, and looking like the FA Cup is the only uh, avenue for silverware, again for Arsenal Football Club, which isn't a bad thing, but of course Arsenal want to be aiming for bigger things. In terms of Sanchez, how he's played as a false nine, he's been leading their press, he's been... Absolutely so pivotal for Arsenal. He scored their most goals, registered their most assists, created their most chances. But it has been so good on the ball, vacating the space, allowing the likes of Theo Walcott, Mesut Ozil to score goals. You know, Walcott on his best um, goal per game ratio of his career at Arsenal and of course Mesut Ozil, his best goal scoring season at Arsenal. So it's a really interesting one that Arsenal have decided to not bow to his wage demands and probably will lose him um, on the cheap in in the summer obviously the cheap at the moment I'm talking £25-30 million similar to RVP leaving for Manchester United so it would be a huge signing for Chelsea in terms of Chelsea it's an interesting one Eden Hazard as well rumoured in the last few days to be moving to Real Madrid in the summer Um, contract negotiations apparently ongoing with Eden Hazard Chelsea offering £300,000 per week but Hazard you know He has made it uh, sort of fact in, in recent years that he would want to play for Zinedine Zidane and Real Madrid, where he'd fit in there, potentially as a number 10. Um, you can't really see him playing wide. You know, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo there, you've got Gareth Bale there, um, potentially as a false nine, or if Ronaldo moves centrally there. But then you've got the likes of Benzema, you've got the likes of, of Morata. But if Isco, who is rumoured to potentially be moving to Barcelona, which could be a really interesting one, Isco could be the heir to, um, obviously, Andres Iniesta. Similar playing styles with those two players. But anyway, going back to Real Madrid, you know, it seems like a strange one. Where would um, where would he fit in this side? You know, the midfield works at the moment with Casemiro, Kroos, and Modric. He's not really gonna get in there, he's not really gonna get in the wide forward positions, he's not really gonna get in the striking positions. It means that Zidane would have to move away from this 4-3-3 that has done him that served him so well in his 10 check Real Madrid and potentially move to a 4-2-3-1, with Azard centrally behind the likes of Benzema but that could work really well imagine that front four Benzema, Hazard um, Ronaldo and Gareth Bale that's got absolutely everything of course the 4-3-3 Ronaldo through the middle also has a lot of promise there in terms of other players leaving Chelsea uh, reported in the summer Costa who threw his toys out of the pram in January um, could be moving to China or to Atletico Madrid depending on who who pays him the most money or where he wants to go I think that he's always said that he wants to go back to Atletico and imagine Griezmann-Costa that would win them the Champions League title I think that's got the Got the both the tenacity of, of um, Costa's pressing and aggression, but also Griezmann's flair and ability to finish. Although Griezmann and Gramera have a good relationship, I think Costa Gr- uh, Griezmann would be absolutely disgraceful. So, what did Chelsea do? Of course, Conte said that he wants to sign Sanchez, and Sanchez could either play uh, where Eden Azard's playing or where Diego Costa's playing, very capable of playing as a left forward. Um, and in Conte's system, where the left forward almost plays as a second striker, would be perfect for Sanchez. It would potentially go down the days of when he played at Udinese in a 3-5-2 three, three, with um, Di Natale up top front Di Natale playing as more your traditional goal scorer uh, Sanchez was given the, the license to roam free um, creating chances everywhere so Chelsea potentially could, be, could switch to a 3-5-2 um, with potentially another signing of a controlling defensive midfielder. Maybe someone like a, a Verratti would be perfect for Chelsea. Uh, or potentially, if they stay with this 4-3-3, Sanchez could play wide, but as this second striker, this elite counter-attacker that Eden Hazard's been doing so well this season, or potentially through the middle. Um, you know, Chelsea sign maybe another uh wide forward, someone like uh, Lorenzo Insignia that has been so pivotal to Napoli's success this season. The incredible stuff about Insignia this year is the amount of passes he's completed. He's completed more passes than a number of top quality central midfielders um in Europe this season in terms of Syria only uh his teammates um Mariam Hamzik and uh, Jorginho have completed more passes. 100, well, sorry, 1,392 passes for a, an attacking player is pretty incredible. He scored more goals than any other wide player in Syria and registered seven assists. You know, very uh, low centre of gravity. A similar sort of ilk to Eden Hazard in terms of how he picks the ball up, likes to drive, likes to come into a stronger right foot, looks for through balls, looks for opportunities to get shots away. It's got uh, slightly different in terms of. Um, you know how they how they score their goals and so forth. i say Insignia hits his shots a lot a lot harder, a lot cleaner than Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard, more of a finesse player. Um, Insignia, maybe a little bit more whip, a little bit more pace on his shots, but it would be perfect to replace um, Eden Hazard on that left hand side. Um, and of course, Sanchez coming through the middle, playing as a false nine. What he would give Conte is, is the ability to lead that press, set that tempo that Costa does, but also maybe would slightly upgrade them in terms of uh, a playmaking sense. Costa, wonderful forward in scoring goals but maybe Sanchez would upgrade the Chelsea side and creating goals for the likes of Pedro, the likes of Willian and, and so forth. Potentially an option to replace Costa through the middle would be Bellotti from Torino. 22 goals in um, Serie A this season. The top scorer, wonderful form um, from the Rooster. A uh, wonderful goal scoring, you know, very good finisher in the penalty area and, and, and so forth. So it could be another good... Uh, thing for Conte to bring in both Belotti and Sanchez or Insignia and Sanchez two uh, decent options there if of course Hazard uh, and Costa do leave to uh, to new new arenas but anyway in terms of uh, other options for Sanchez, Inter Milan have been heavily, heavily linked with a new owners sunin uh, a big Chinese powerful organisation with a lot of cash One who, uh, want Inter to step up and challenge Juve for the title, Stefan Pioli's done a lot of good work over at Inter Milan, if you want to check out a little bit more on that, jump over to the front the front 3's YouTube channel, where myself and uh, Nico uh, Morales have gone into a bit more detail, talking about how they've uh, sort of taken their their sort of step up to the next level. Potentially, if Acardi were to move on, Sanchez could be that perfect man through the middle, or a replacement for Perisic if Perisic is who has been linked with Manchester United in recent weeks, following uh, Mourinho's you know watching uh, little spell watching uh, Croatia midweek. Could be an interesting one, could play on that left-hand side, could link up with Icardi, uh, Eva Benega. You know, that could be wonderful. That could be a really good relationship. But there are other teams, the likes of PSG, Juve linked with uh, Sanchez. Wherever Sanchez goes, he will upgrade that side. You know, what he adds to a a team is pretty much everything. He's a full, rounded footballer. And also Carlo Ancelotti has been linked as well, but I don't know where he'd fit in there. Maybe if uh, Robin Ribéry are going to move on or retire at the end of the year, maybe replacing one of those. But there's going to be a lot of interesting movement in the summer for Alexis Sanchez. Bad news for Arsenal fans, though. Terrible, terrible stuff. Terrible business from Arsenal Football Club. Once again, allowing one of their biggest assets to leave pretty much for, for free in a way for the, for the price they're going to get. It's, you know, 25 million quid. It's, it's not much at all in this modern age where you're seeing you know Paul Pogba going for 86 million and so forth. But anyway, that's uh, enough for Alexis Sanchez and our little transfer section. I hope you've enjoyed it. And that's a big shout out to Oscar Hollick who center uh, is, uh, you know, sent the article in on Twitter and asked me to talk about it. If you want to, you know, send anything to me on Twitter, uh, suggestions of what I want to talk at Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Statman Dave, make sure you drop a follow as well for some banging stacks all around the place. Anyway, on to the big section of today's uh, podcast. It's going to be the top three formations right now in world football. So first up, we're going to talk the 4-4-2, coming really back into trend. The 4-4-2 sort of gives you, there's a lot of strength playing a 4-4-2. It gives you great balance across the pitch. Um, Arsene Wenger himself coming out and says it gives you the best spread of players in in a sort of distance covered sort of arena but it's interesting that he hasn't evolved his Arsenal team to defend in a 4-4-2. Crazy stuff from Arsene Wenger but also it leaves you two players up top to counter and also you can adapt um, to play any style of put- football playing a 4-4-2 you can play with the ball, you can be a possession based team, you can be a counter attacking team, you can be a defensive team, you can be an attacking team. It just gives you a great blend and for me it's my favourite system right now. One of the weaknesses of a 4-4-2 of course is that you've only got two players in a central zone um, against the trend of a three man midfield, a three three or four two three one you're losing that battle there but there is ways you can win that you can drop your striker into midfield give him some defensive responsibilities maybe drop one of your um midfielders a bit deeper to open up space to be a number six and there's there's a lot you can do. In terms of the side, to me at the moment, they're playing the 4 4 2 the best. Of course, you've got to start with Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid, a very tough tackling side. They've always had physical midfielders in there. So at times, they've played four central midfielders. You know, players like uh, Thiago, Gabi, Coke, Saul, um, all playing in the same system, the same side, but it gives them great bite in midfield. But also, one of the big things with Atletico, how they create chances, is those two wide uh, midfielders. They do come inside and sort of become two playmakers, two number 10s, um, allowing the fullbacks to get forward uh, and attack and that's kind of one of the the trends we're seeing in these 4-4-2s at the moment that the two wide players in in the bank of four do come inside and it allows the fullbacks to come on another great side playing that at the moment is Monaco obviously the top scorers in Europe's top five leagues they score goals for fun but a lot of their goals are created from their from their wing backs that go forward, similarly um, similarly to, similar to Atletico Madrid, the likes of Felipe Luis um, Viseco before his injury, and of course Fran uh, Monaco with Sadio uh, Torre uh, and Mendy do get forward very very well. Um, you know the likes of Fabino and of course Bakyoko holding in midfield allows these wing backs to get forward and create chances, and that's a big sort of uh, characteristic of the 4-4-2 that we're seeing, is the full backs do create a lot of chances in the final third. They do provide that width. It's a modern thing but back to Atletico Madrid of course the two forwards do give a lot of work the thing that uh, Simeone's you know sort of set the trend is to the two strikers becoming um, you know defensive players in a way and almost dropping back and the system almost looking like a 4-4-2-0 in a way, with the the two strikers being goal side of the central midfielders block, blocking the passes into central midfield, um, but also looking to cut those passes out and allow Atletico to break on the counter attack. Atletico again have upgraded themselves with getting Antoine Griezmann, and uh, you know an elite goal scorer, an elite forward through the middle. Which gives them a lot on the counter attack. Yes, yeah, so I've let go one of the teams that play a four four two so well. Of course, Monaco as well, with the likes of uh, Lamar and uh, Silva dropping in, and Bappe, Falcao, uh, Germain playing as uh, the two strikers. It's a really good system. Really good. Going from front to back, Monaco turned the ball over. Bakayoko Fabinho wins it in central midfield. They'll release one of the fullbacks, one of the wide players, and bang, they'll enter that final third and usually create a very, very good goal-scoring attack. Maybe uh, Mbappe drifting wide like he does. It's a frequent thing that he does is drift wide and create those chances. In terms of other teams, um, Leipzig play, RB Leipzig play the 4 4 2. A little bit differently, looks more of a 4 2 4 when they have possession with their wide players. And the wide midfielders looking to get very close to the forwards and, and play off them, You know, combine with them. Little uh, you know, long ball out the back from one of the DM f- defensive midfielders up to one of the strikers. Little layoff, there you go, onto that final third. Uh, how Leipzig differ from Atletico Monaco, they look for a lot more through balls over the top a lot more through balls into the channels, uh, getting the likes of Timo Werner clean through, uh, which opens up space for the wide forwards to come inside and dictate the play the likes of Emil Foschberg, um, Sabitzer and uh, Nabi Keita when he's played in an advanced position get that space as at a number 10 um, playing from these wide areas. It's quite interesting that the Leipzig 4 4 in a way when playing a four four two and finishing off with Leicester City. Uh, you know, they played it very, very well in their Premier League title. A little bit differently, they play sort of two wingers in a way. One of them stays wide, usually Mark Brighton and of course uh, Riyad Mahrez, when he's playing his good football does cut in onto that left foot coming into that inside channel and creating chances scoring goals from that area so it's a little bit different to playing central midfielders out there that we've seen from the likes of um, the likes of Atletico Madrid let's say slightly different but similar how they they've tried to force the opponents to the to the, the wide areas and then press them there win the ball back and counter attack uh, moving on Let's move on to the three-five-two. My 2 uh, probably my third favourite formation. So I'd say the four-four-two number one, the 3-5-2, number three, and we'll find out what number two is later on. The 3 uh, 5 the strengths, of course, you can play with two forwards, but also a three-man midfield. You've got an extra defender against a front two. You can comfortably drop back and make a five-man defence, which is very difficult to break down. Uh, you can pick up all the runners, uh, you can deal with the two strikers and so forth, but also you can add wingers to the system and make it very attacking. You think of what Juve have done recently, uh, in recent years with Codrado and Patrice Evra on either flanks, one winger, one fullback, but very attacking down that right-hand side but giving that good balance where the outside centre-half on the right side, usually someone like Barzagli just filters over to the right fullback zone and deals with that issue on the counter-attack. The weakness is obviously the wing-backs can get isolated if the central midfielders don't filter over, but this can also open up space in the middle if the central midfielders filter over. There's space to absolutely exploit. And also another weakness is the wide uh, outside centre-backs, should I say, need to be able to defend wide areas they need to be comfortable at defending those wide zones which means they need to be quick they need to have pace and they need to have ability to win their 1v1 situations in terms of sides that have played it really well in recent years of course Juve with Paul Pogba uh, Debala and Mandzukic that was a wonderful front three it started as 3-5-2 but Pogba drifted he roamed um, and com- sort of became a inside forward in a way where it looked like a, a 3-4 a th- 3-4-2-1 in a way with Pogba and Dybala being on sort of the, the same axis in a vertical sense um, and would crate together, would combine and there was some brilliant football but also the system great, gave Juve's defensive midfielder Marquisio or Pirlo great space to dictate the play uh, in front of the, the three at the back. Um, you know We've seen some of Pirlo's best football sitting a bit deeper pinging the balls to the strikers or pinging the balls to an attacking player or slinging it wide but also Bonucci out the back becoming a playmaker and being a fantastic talent over the last uh, three seasons in Syria, only Raul Abiol has uh, completed more long passes than Benucci. When Pogba was there, he was so good at finding the Frenchman in space, in the half space, where Pogba, for Pogba to turn, get a dribble up and either get a shot on goal or create a chance. Anyway, the teams that are playing it very well, Hoffenheim under Nagelsmann, um, a very, very decent side. The central midfielders pull wide and opens up a sort of 3 1-6 uh, system in a way. The midfielders are looking to get into the half spaces, the spaces in behind the opponents, but also open up centrally for the likes of Kramer. it Should drop deep as a false nine, but it, it's it's very confusing to play against Hoffenheim. Um, uh, very you know, if the opposition manager, it's an absolute nightmare to deal with their movement and their their ability to transition and and so forth. And we've seen some of their players being picked up by Bayern Munich, Nagelsmann winning coach of the year, and potentially being in the Champions League next season. Incredible stuff over at Hoffenheim in a 3-5-2. And to finish us off, the 3-5-2, we've got to talk. About Barcelona who in recent weeks have looked like that or maybe a 3-6-1 with Lionel Messi just behind Luis Suarez but how that works how that operates they've got a great base of three centre-halves uh, usually the likes of Piquet flanked either side by Mascherano and Titi which gives them a great base in terms of ball playing all those three players are very comfortable at playing out of the back but also the two outside players are very very quick which allows Pique to sit in the middle and be the guy dish- distributing the ball also gives Barcelona that three-man midfield of Busquets, uh, Rakitic and of course Andres Iniesta flanked either side by Rafinha usually and Neymar on the left wing very very attacking system this is the Barcelona we are going for it and we will score more goals than you seen in the 6-1 absolute dem- demolition of PSG fantastic performance from Neymar in that game but also it gives Lionel Messi more of a, a central zone to operate in you, you know the likes of um Busquets finding Lionel Messi in between the lines is is really coming from this system and it's it's really interesting to watch and they just score goals for fun. But that system, the 3-6-1 or 3-5-2 for Barcelona is absolutely beautiful. And to finish us up, we've got to talk about the 3-4-3. That is my second favourite system at the moment behind the 4-4-2 that, of course, is played by the likes of Borussia Dortmund and Chelsea. The strength is it gives you two wide players on either side with the three-man defence. Um but you've also got three forwards. It's got great balance. You know, your extra defender against the front two, but gives you great defensive and offensive uh, platforms in a way, which we'll move on to when we're discussing the sides. The weakness is you've probably only got two central midfielders in the centre of the park, or potentially you narrow your wide forwards, which opens up the opposition's uh, Fullback. So there's a lot of tactical. You need to be tactical, very tactically very, very uh, drilled. You need to know exactly what you're doing and in exactly the right system, the right situation, and so forth. But other positives is you can drop back to a 5-4-1, which argue is arguably one of the best defensive structures that we are seeing at the moment. In terms of sides, of course, Borussia Dortmund under Thomas Tuchel and Mainz operate a possession-based 3-4-3 three, three, that, in a way, looks like a 5-4-1 when they're defending. But what it gives, it gives Dortmund a great sort of setup when they've got the ball. It makes the, the Pep Guardiola dream, the 3 5 Pep Guardiola tries to do the 3-2-5 with um, a back four, one of the full-backs coming into central midfield, joining the defensive midfielder, and creating that uh, the three behind, the two in midfield, and then the five up top, which gives a great platform, loads of passing angles and so forth. Um, what Dortmund have done, obviously, they, they do create that shape, it is with the wing-backs getting forward, the wide players, um, uh, you know, joining uh, Aubameyang up top, Dia Uzman Dembele, Pulisic, or whoever you want to throw up there, uh, Marco Royce in an attacking sense, but it gives them great passing lanes, great passing options, and also they compress in the Pentagon, which is one of the best pressing shapes, two central midfielders and the three wide forwards, so it gives them great balance and, you know, and speed in the transition, with We've seen uh, the likes of Piszczek play as a right centre back to, uh, you know, arguably negate the the, the effect of a counter attack down that right hand side because um, he's comfortable, obviously, playing that right area, play, right uh, back area. Considering he's been a right back most of his career, but it is a really good style of football. They create a lot of chances, they score a lot of goals, and there's a lot of angles for uh, Dortmund to create these chances, including, you know, the, the, the thing we've seen uh, this year, especially, is the the wing backs being played in by the likes of Julian Viega and Castro. Which is a good way to obviously score goals, get your win backs in, cutbacks, goal time. For obviously a Bemian. In terms of Chelsea, they play it in a slightly defend more defensive way. Chelsea system arguably a 5-4-1. But what it does is it gives the Lights of Eden Hazard freedom to counter-attack. With Gary Cahill and uh, Marcus Alonso dealing with the opposition's right right back and right uh, winger. It allows Hazard to just sit in the uh, sort of in the counter-attacking space in between the right back and the right centre back gives him that freedom to break to get the best out of of course Eden Hazard is to allow him to do that but of course as well you're seeing the likes of the other side Pedro sits a little bit deeper or Williams sits a bit deeper protecting Victor Moses but the counter attacking has been so good for Chelsea this season with possession they also look like a three-two-five. 2 th- the back three with uh, Kante and Matic sitting in front and then the wing backs do get forward, the wide forwards tuck in and it looks very, very, very nice. Uh, but in terms of what we've seen from Chelsea, we've seen great goals great ability to defend in situations and to just sit back and that is why they're going to win the Premier League title is this system that Conte has introduced. So that is my favourite three systems right now, the 4-4-2 at number one, the three-four-three at number two and the three-five-two at number three. Anyway, tweet me at Statman Dave, what is your favourite system right now, maybe we'll do a poll on Twitter, so make sure you get involved with that, but that has been that for episode 33 of the Statman Day Football Podcast apologies again for the lack of episode number 32, but I was sick I was ill, I was about to die, it was terrible, till tomorrow till episode 34, hopefully I'll be feeling a little bit more fresher tomorrow, well potentially we may preview a few of the weekend's games or I don't know what we'll talk about, we'll talk about something fun so make sure you stay tuned, over and out